Hey babe, welcome to the She Factor Podcast, a space where we believe empowered women empower women. We're here to inspire, encourage, and equip you to live your best life and find your purpose. Join me every week as we dish out real life tips and tricks on all things juicy, inspiring, and educational, but of course, never boring. I'm Tori Ganahl, a millennial woman on my own journey to She, and your host of the She Factor Podcast. Grab your favorite cocktail or Starbucks drink and settle in for real, raw, and hilarious conversations as we dive into what makes us as women unstoppable. So for everyone listening, we are here at our DC launch event in um, Mission Navy Yard with some incredible women. And I'm here with Laura Cox Kaplan, our guest interviewee, speaker, all the things. She's incredible. And I can't wait for you all to hear from her. So Laura, I kind of want to give you the opportunity to tell a little bit of your story from your perspective. Tell them who you are, because I won't be, I won't do it justice, and why you're here tonight. Okay, sure. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I am the creator and host of a podcast called She Said, She Said, which I launched about a year and a half ago. And it's focused on showcasing a broader range of women as leaders and the way in which women have an impact. I have felt like for some time that we tend to look at sort of a one-size-fits-all model as it relates to women and leadership, and that we have historically not talked as authentically about the types of challenges that we encounter in the workforce. Um, and I'm talking about more subtle things like self-doubt and confidence, struggling with perfection, imposter syndrome, all those biggies that you may or may not struggle with, but chances are you know someone who does. So we've just recorded our 71st episode, which will go up tomorrow, which I'm really thrilled about. And um, we're making great progress and we're building an interesting community and I think really creating some important, authentic conversations that are much more diverse than what I oftentimes see. Awesome. Thank you so much for digging into that. So you were an extremely successful executive across several different large institutions and organizations, and you walked away from it all, which I want to dive into. But um, first of all, I want you to talk about your career a little bit more. So what was it like for you moving your way up the ladder? And um, especially in such a male-dominated industry, what was that like for you? So it's a great question. Um, I grew up in Texas, to kind of take us back to the beginning, and in a very small town called Rising Star, population 800. It's actually home of the Texas Snake King for anybody who might have an interest in snakes. I really don't, and therefore I'm here. <laughs> in any event, um, I came to Washington to work for my congressman at the time, and then ultimately worked my way up into more senior positions over time later worked at the executive branch at the Treasury Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission, and then went to PricewaterhouseCoopers, where I spent 12 years and 10 of those years on the executive management team. I ran public policy strategy for the U.S. firm at the time. So I was very blessed um, with great opportunities uh, here in Washington. You were blessed, but you earned that. <laughs> I, I worked hard, but I was blessed to have those opportunities too, but I did work hard. Yeah. And so about Three years ago, a little, little more than that, I had gotten to a point in my career where I felt like I was not challenging myself as much. I had been with the firm for a number of years and had achieved that level that I really set out to achieve. And it wasn't, I felt like I wasn't challenging myself in the same way that I had earlier in my career. 
So I decided to make a pretty significant pivot and try something that was much more entrepreneurial. I was really concerned about creating more uh, conversations that I thought were important about women's leadership. I'd worked a lot on those issues at PwC and elsewhere, and I wanted to have an opportunity to really do a bit more in that regard. So I walked away from a very big job and a very big paycheck, and people said to me, are you crazy? I said, no, I really feel passionately about this. But I had a lot of self-doubt in making this leap. My identity was really tied up in the organization, and I worried a lot about what people thought and whether they would think I had been fired or lost my mind or whatever. But it was really that sort of having a, a strong understanding of why I was leaving and what it was I was going to set out to do, even though I didn't have it all figured out and didn't know that it was ultimately going to become a podcast, I knew that I would work in this space and I knew that I wanted to have an opportunity to try to do things a bit differently. And that was really the fuel that helped me get through all of that self-doubt. But I think it's important to talk about the fact that when you make a big leap like that or a big career transition, you probably will have self-doubt and you will second guess and question yourself and other people will second guess and question you. And so developing some tools so that you know how to persevere through that and understanding how important it is to have clarity on at least the goal that you set, even if you don't have everything else figured out, I think was really important to my journey. So I think that's a good message to share. Totally. And going off of that, do you, is there one specific moment where it was like that aha moment for you when you made the transition? You were like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I have to pursue this. And if I don't, you know, this is my passion. This is my purpose. Yeah. I had a good friend who dropped dead at 47 and he was a very successful business person. One of the most lovely human beings you would ever have a chance to meet. And knowing that your days are numbered and having it sort of presented in such stark contrast, you sort of feel like you're going to live forever. And certainly in your 40s, you know, it's just far too young to die. And so to have a close friend who literally dropped dead of a heart attack got my attention. And I had already been thinking about challenging myself in a different way and trying some things inside the organization. But that was a stark wake-up call for me to really rethink the impact that I was having and also, you know, hopefully the legacy that I can leave for my kids. I don't want it to sound arrogant at all, but I felt like I could have a different kind of an impact and that they, that I would feel better about leaving that for them. I have an 11-year-old son and a nine-year-old daughter who are just amazing. And so it was very important to me to be doing things that I felt like had a bigger impact on their future. As a woman, how can, or as women in general, how can we be more authentic about our career struggles without seeming weak or unqualified? You know, all that self-doubt that comes up, how can we be authentic about that? And how can we support each other in that? I think having more honest conversations. I don't think admitting that you're struggling it should be a weakness. And I think the more that we can involve both women and men in these conversations, that that is really important and helpful. I come out of an organization that was, you know, pretty, pretty open-minded and pushed a lot of envelopes very early on in terms of working hard to get, to keep women uh, in the workforce, to keep them, you know, through the point in which they would be qualified to become a partner and beyond that. This was oftentimes the 
point at which folks would start having babies. And that's usually when people tend to leave the workforce. So we had some pretty innovative things going on at the time. I think the more authentic that we are in talking about the fact that we struggle with imposter syndrome, that we have self-doubt, if we could be more candid, really more aware about recognizing things like perfection. I mean, this is something, I teach a class at American University that's a a self-awareness personal development class. And one of the first things we do is, is talk about feedback. And they go out and get feedback from objective people, ideally not their mother and not their boyfriend. (laughs) But it's predominantly upper level undergraduate young women. And they get feedback from people on sort of their performance in life. Nine times out of 10, people tell them, you're really hard on yourself. You hold yourself to a standard of perfection. And when they hear that, they're like, oh, ow, that really hurts. Because they're not accustomed to hearing constructive feedback a lot of times. It takes a lot of practice to get used to that. And so I think if we, as you know, folks that have been in the workforce longer, can help you know, be more open about the fact that this can be a real challenge and can really educate our male counterparts who may not see this or understand it as clearly. They're wired differently as a general rule than we are, and they may not suffer from this the way that we do. Generally, they don't. Some do, some don't. You guys can speak up here. <laughs> in the room here. <laughs> um, but it is important to understand that we are different as men and women, and we do tend to approach challenges in the workforce oftentimes in a different way. We'll just literally view them differently or respond to them differently. And I think it's important to be very authentic and understand that. Totally. And, and going off of that, too, talking about male counterparts, because um, I think they are an important part we interact with them every day and, you know, some are great, some maybe not so great. And I'm sure women are the same way. <laughs> um, but how can they be smarter about what we're struggling with and be more supportive of us in your opinion? And how can we have those conversations openly without them feeling like they're doing something wrong or maybe they don't realize they're doing something wrong? How can we have those conversations? I think looking for trusted allies you, you know who the guys are who really want to be supportive and who really would be open to a candid conversation about these, the types of things that we're talking about tonight. Not everybody's going to be open to that, maybe we're female, and that's okay. But I think for those, for the guys that you're working with, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's a counterpart or a peer, I think the ones who are open to really understanding, you should endeavor to have conversations with them and help them under, understand this. So I worked primarily men, as you said before. Um, when I started out on Capitol Hill, most of the, well, many of the staffs that I, well, actually that's not entirely true, but my bosses were always men, let me put it that way. So my counterparts were women. But for the most part, my bosses and my mentors were men, both in government as well as in the private sector where I left. And so I had one peer mentor in particular, who was a guy who gave me some the best advice that I've ever gotten, or certainly it was good advice at the time. And I, this was when I was at the Treasury Department. And when I'd gotten the job, I, we were working on some pretty challenging issues, credit default swaps, and some very esoteric financial instruments that I just simply knew nothing about. I knew my piece of the puzzle, was, which was the congressional outreach piece, but my ability to really contribute to these conversations around policy, it was very challenging. And so I would find 
to myself, raising my hand and saying, I'm sorry, I know I'm not, you know, the smartest person in the room, or I'm sorry, I may not know as much about this as you guys. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He pulled me aside after a meeting one day and he said, listen, stop apologizing. Nobody thinks you're stupid until you open your mouth and you remove all doubt because you just told them that you think you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's really good advice. It was really good advice. So I think for people like that who are trying to be constructive and who are trying to be supportive, A, be open to their feedback when you give it and use it as an opportunity to really engage in a dialogue and a conversation. And I think too, not taking it personally, I think when we when we ask for feedback, oftentimes we can take that feedback personally. And if, if one, we stop apologizing and put that image on, upon ourselves, and two, if we take that feedback and use it as an instrument of change rather than something to be offended by or, you know, get emotional about, you know, that's obviously a stereotype that we deal with all the time. But, you know, it's hard not to take that stuff personally when someone's telling you you're doing something wrong. But take it with a grain of salt and run with it and prove them wrong. I have a great trick. I think it's a great trick. You guys can tell me if you think it's a great trick. Um, Someone suggested to me one way of helping to lessen the blow of feedback if you're having trouble hearing it is to arm yourself with a series of follow-up questions. Assume that you're going to get some constructive slash negative feedback. Probably not on 90% of your performance, but maybe 10 or 20%. There are going to be things that you need to work on. So just assume that you're going to get that. And arm yourself with follow-up questions like, have you ever had this challenge? Have you ever worked with anyone else who's had this challenge? What did they do? What other suggestions do you have? Here's what that does. It enables you as the person who's receiving the feedback to take back a little bit of control. Sometimes the uncomfortable part is the loss of control and just receiving information that, you know, if you're holding yourself to a high standard can be hard to hear. If you take back that control and you're in the driver's seat, A, you feel more comfortable and B, you're probably going to have a more effective dialogue as well. So I think that trick is really smart. I can't remember who who told me that, but I think it's a really smart way to think about feedback. Yeah. Another one that I've heard that's really worked for me is the 24-hour rule. And this really is most effective in like a work environment, not so much if you're getting feedback directly in the moment. But um, if someone pulls you aside and gives you feedback, just saying thank you, just like pause, say thank you, and then sit on it for 24 hours and like let your feelings fester a little bit, let theirs simmer down, or maybe it's positive feedback too. It can be positive as well, but take 24 hours. Then if you're still feeling like you don't have a good idea of what they were coming to talk to you about, or you need more understanding, or if you have like a rebuttal to what they are saying, like go back to them 24 hours later and be like, I need some clarification. Like I'm not feeling good about what you said to me, or I still don't understand what can I do better and have those questions worked out and ready spit back at them. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's a bad way of saying, but I think both those things, just like being, being open to it and being, I think if you ask the question, sometimes you find out if it's like real feedback or not. Sometimes it's like, they spit it at you as like defensive mechanism for maybe some feedback that they need to. <laughs> I don't know. That's my experience. <laughs> but no, that's awesome. I love that advice. So let's move into your podcast. She said, she said. So you've talked a little bit about what prompted you to drop everything and a little bit about what that transition was like. Tell us a little bit more about that and how it's been for you and where you're at now in your life, having done that transition, drop dropping everything. So 
when I left, I was, like I said before, I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to do and what the platform was going to look like. And I was toying with a number of different ideas. Maybe it was going to be a blog. Maybe it was, you know, something else. I wasn't quite sure. And I, a friend of mine, uh, runs a nonprofit and she was hosting a summit where she was bringing women together and she asked me to moderate a panel. It happened to be a really large panel. And as far as panels go, it's always awful to have more than about four or five people on a panel, but this one had like seven or eight, but they were all women who were having an impact in very different ways. So I'm moderating this panel. It was a fabulous conversation and we got great feedback on it. And I went home after the event and my friend who runs the event called me and said, I have an idea for you. You should do a podcast. And I'm like, huh, interesting idea. I hung up the phone, did, you know, a couple minutes of research, thought about it, thought about what I had been contemplating. So she's right. It's a really great idea. Walked into the other room where my husband was reading the paper, said, guess what? starting a podcast. That's nice, dear. Good luck. Um, I, it was sort of the universe sending me a message in like a really woo-woo kind of, kind of way. But everything fell into place. I found an interesting person to help me with some of the technical details that I didn't know as much about. And I went through my Rolodex for interesting women whose stories I thought met our criteria of being insightful, inspirational, and also women of impact. And I went through my list and then ultimately people began to come to me and I would reach out, you know, cold to different people that I thought would be interesting. No one has turned me down or said no. And our guests have gotten higher and higher profile. We've had Heidi Ganahl on, who is amazing, to tell her Camp Bow Wow story, her personal story, which is incredibly inspiring. And I've learned so much about, I think I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about, it's just deepened my understanding of the issues that we face as women and how we talk about them. And it's been incredibly rewarding so far. Yeah. And I know that when we talked, one of those things that I think you touched on was financial freedom and being able to leave a job and do something you love and that you're passionate about. And here at Chief Factor, I mean, that's really our goal is to help women find the life they love and create that life and follow their passion and find their purpose. So how has that been for you? I mean, just following your dreams and doing that, but then helping other women and hearing other women's other women's stories. Tell me what that means to you, because I know that's really important, that financial freedom aspect. Sure. It is very important. I, you know, I didn't grow up with money. As I said before, I, I grew up in a very small town in rural Texas. And so financial independence to me was a very important component of my early career building blocks. It was very important for me to be independent, to be able to take care of myself. I didn't want to have to depend on anyone else. And these were sort of lessons that were really instilled in me by my parents. So many of my uh, early career decisions were based in part on financial ones because I felt like that was very important. I did not have a safety net to fall back on if I wasn't earning my own way. And so I was able to do that, which I am incredibly proud of. And when I got married, I was the breadwinner for at least part of our marriage. We've now taken turns, which is great. It is a true partnership in that regard. But because I had achieved a level of financial independence, it also afforded me the ability to take off and do something that may or may not really have a monetary component. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But I was able to make decisions 
and be focused on the content of what we were creating as opposed to the ability for it to make money. Maybe it will, but that's not the driving force. And I wanted to be able to nail what I thought was most compelling rather than focusing on who's going to pay for this. And I had the luxury of being able to do that because I had a financial cushion. And so I'm fortunate in that regard. I worked very hard to get to that point, but I'm very fortunate in that. But I want to be very transparent about that fact too. Totally. And going off of that as well, like I think the, the sphere of the week, month, not week, um, sphere of the month is freedom. And that's why we're here in DC and what we wanted to do here. And I think freedom means so many things to different people. And like for you, it means financial freedom, the freedom to be able to step away from a job to do something you love. And I think that everyone has a different perception of freedom, which we'll dig into a little bit hereafter. But like, why is freedom so important to you? And obviously, you talked a little bit about the financial aspect. But in general, like, what does that word hold for you? And, and why is it important? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> well, there's so many different dimensions to freedom. I, mean, I only talked about one, which was the financial one. I mean, it's the ability for a person to chart their own course. And it is part of what makes this country so amazing. This is a country in which freedom is a core principle and value. And so at a very you know, significant level, that's what freedom means to me, the ability to make decisions about where, you know, what I want to pursue as a career, which areas I want to pursue in terms of having an impact, making sure that my children enjoy the same freedoms that my husband and I have been able to enjoy. It's part of why we worked in, we both came out of government, both my husband and I, and being able to, to fight for those values was very important to us. So there's so many different dimensions, but that's really what I, what I think about. Oh, I love that answer. And I think that's really important to understand as a woman, to have that freedom to be able to chart your own path and do that for your family. And I think that pressure is on us a lot. So I loved your explanation of that. Um, so part of entrepreneurship is reinventing yourself. So how have you told that narrative of reinventing yourself? Yeah. And that story, I guess. Yeah. So that's a really interesting perspective. I think about it a little bit differently, at least as it relates to my own journey. And I think it it is about reinvention, but it's also taking the tools and experiences and perspectives and deploying them differently. So I just think about the part that I think really excites me is the ability to use all of the knowledge and perspective and my network and all these things that I have accumulated over you know, a 30-year career and being able to use them differently. So, so it, is, it is reinvention from the standpoint that I work differently. <laughs> and I, I'm, a, I'm a terrible boss <laughs> because I don't have an off button. But that's something that I have to work on. That's why I talk about it a lot because I struggle with it and I assume other women probably do too. So recognizing that the structure oftentimes in an entrepreneurial setting is very different from what you would experience in a corporate setting. That's certainly been true for me. Um, and recognizing or strengths and weaknesses as, as it, with regard to self-regulating can be important. That's been, a, that's been a challenge for me, frankly. Amen. Me too. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Laura. That was amazing. Yes, thank you. And thank you for having me. This has been a great evening. And thank you all for coming tonight. Congressman, thank you for being here as well. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Tori. Looking for more than a weekly dose of She Factor? Find us on social media at The She Factor or head to our website, thesheefactor.com to keep up to date with all the trends on our blog and daily she email. 
still want more? Subscribe on our app for access to live events near you, special offers from our brand partners, and lots of exciting tools to help you launch your life. Thanks for listening and see you next week.